Hey everybody, welcome back to The Brood Life, and I'm excited for today's episode uh, as we talk more about the Orthodox Church, and I'm especially thankful for our guests we have today. And before we get started uh, into our discussion, I'm just going to hand it over to him really quick to introduce himself to you, and then we'll get started. Thank you. I am Father Andrew Jarmus, and I'm the parish priest at St. Nicholas Eastern Orthodox Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's a parish of the Orthodox Church in America. Awesome. So uh, as I've been doing my own like reading about the Orthodox Church and stuff, I've come to find out that I heard somebody say the Orthodox Church is the best kept secret in the United States. And uh, um, but kind of I know this is a difficult question to answer quickly, but kind of what what is the the Orthodox Church? Okay. Uh, it's, it's really funny because when we were arranging this interview and you had sent me a couple of questions and the one thing I was hoping you weren't going to ask me was for my elevator pitch, because, <laughs> partially because a number of years ago, I actually, I actually was on a panel that judged an Orthodox elevator pitch. Content. Oh. <laughs> and and it, it, it's just, it's, uh, it's like, where do you start? What do you, what do you start with? So, sure. so I, I, I thought about it. This is what I got. I, I wrote it down. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading this because I want to make sure I, I've got it right. So here's my Orthodox elevator speech. Um, so the Eastern Orthodox Church maintains the ancient Christian belief that salvation is an act of divine healing through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God. Uh, we do not believe that God is angry with us. We do not believe that we were born with the guilt of the original sin. But sin is still a serious and persistent problem in our lives that negatively impacts how we relate to God, how we treat our neighbor, and also even how we look at ourselves. And so the first step in healing all of that brokenness is to mend our relationship with God. And the first step in healing our broken relationship with God to acknowledge how deeply dependent we've become on toxic ways of thinking and behaving. And so turning away from that toxicity and towards God's healing, steadfast love is what we think of when we hear the word repent. So that's a, a fairly short elevator ride, I think. And that would be my, uh, my description. That's perfect. That's, a, that's great. Uh, so the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, has been around since you know, the first church and started in, in, in that area. So how did the Orthodox Church come to America, to the United States? Okay. So Eastern Orthodoxy begins in America in the 1700s in Alaska, when Alaska was still part of the Russian Empire. And so there were settlers in Alaska, Russian settlers, and monks were sent uh, across the Bering Strait into Alaska to, to just care for the spiritual needs of the Russian Orthodox settlers in Alaska. But what happened when they got there was they were very upset with how the Russian settlers were treating the indigenous peoples there. Mm. And so uh, they, they began to champion the cause of these indigenous peoples that they needed to be, to be treated with respect. They were human beings made in God's image and that they could not be exploited and mistreated. And, and so the various indigenous tribes were, were these missionaries. Well, they weren't even missionaries at that point, really. They were just, you know, again, there for the, the, the settlers. But they begin, began to get interested in, in the faith, in Christianity, and that began uh, a missionary effort that really spread throughout Alaska, and really to this day, the largest Christian uh, faith tradition amongst the indigenous peoples is the Orthodox Church, and it's been around there for, for 200 years, so that's really the mother 
diocese for us is the Diocese of Alaska. Uh, you also saw um, immigration down uh, the West Coast during uh, the gold rush. And so you saw uh, Orthodox people settling in, in, in the major cities on the West Coast. And of course, in the 1800s, you also saw the immigration uh, with other immigrants from Europe uh, to the East Coast, uh, and particularly into what is now the Rust Belt. It wasn't very rusty back then, uh, but uh, to the, into the mines in Pennsylvania and all the way kind of into the Midwest, particularly into, into Chicago and, and that area. So it all, you know, it all begins, uh, it, well, it really begins with a missionary effort to these indigenous peoples in Alaska as they showed an interest in the faith. Then it kind of morphed into people coming. And of course, when you come here, you bring your faith with you establish your community, you establish your faith community here. Um, and then uh, something happens kind of after the, the, the Russian Revolution and, and the events of the, uh, the, the world wars is you have a different kind of a, a group of people coming, not so much people who chose to come here, but people who had to come here. They were forced out of their homelands and they came here. They also came and set up parishes and set up their own lives here. But, but the difference being was they had a much closer uh, emotional, psychological connection to their homelands. And so there was, there was not this real sense that you needed to share the faith with anybody. In fact, uh, most of these places, I mean, they, they, were, they were Orthodox countries. And so if you were Greek, you were Orthodox. If you were Russian, you were Orthodox. You were Serbian, you were Orthodox. And so a lot of times they wouldn't have even thought about sharing the faith with, with their American neighbors because Americans had American churches to go to. Why would they even want to come to the Orthodox Church? So really, it's not until the second half of the, of the 20th century, kind of starting in the 50s and 60s, that we start to see a, a, a resurgence of, of missionary activity and opening the doors. So if you think about my parish, St. Nicholas in Fort Wayne, so it was founded by Macedonian immigrants in the late 1940s, and really for the next 40 years, it's essentially a parish for them and for their children and grandchildren. But it's in the late 1980s that they begin to open their doors and they begin to, to welcome other people in and uh, sort of include other people into the community so that now it's, it's a real mixed bag of, of people. We still have some Macedonians. We have Ukrainians, Russians, uh, we have Ethiopian families, we have, and a lot of convert families, people who just found the Orthodox Church along the way. But it all begins with that missionary work in Alaska, and then the immigrations, and then you know, eventually kind of, we start seeing that this is where we are. And this isn't just a convenient place for us to be because we couldn't be in our homelands, but that us being here was God planting us here to spread the Orthodox faith here. Right. So, uh, and this wasn't one of other questions we discussed, but what would you say, like, maybe number-wise or percentage-wise, uh, how many Orthodox Christians are in the United States? I believe it's around a million. Okay, so pretty small. Um, yeah, I mean, compared to the larger larger uh, population, sure. it's fairly small, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, and for me, like, I... Uh, I grew up in uh, the Warsaw area, uh, which is about 45 minutes from here. I didn't even know anything about the Orthodox Church until I came to college here in Fort Wayne. I went to Taylor, Fort Wayne, and mm -hmm. I had some friends probably around my junior year of college that started attending an Orthodox Church in town. I don't remember which one, but that was my first exposure to the Orthodox Church. And uh, so, and I think the majority of the people listening to the podcast probably come from evangelical or Protestant 
background uh, and like i said before like a like but people just don't know about the orthodox church and uh mm-hmm. and don't and if they do know about it they probably don't understand mm-hmm. uh what what you what you do and who you are what you believe and there's probably a lot of misconceptions out there um but and kind of going in that vein so when you first walk into an orthodox church and probably one of the first things that people notice and people uh maybe associate with is is the icons in the church so what what do um what do those icons mean and why are they important to orthodox christians okay um, so this, this touches upon one of the really um, important, important differences between Eastern Orthodox Christianity and the, and the Western Christian churches, not, not so much Roman Catholicism, but the, the Protestant churches. And, and it is our, our uh, understanding about uh, the fact that things can bear multiple realities at the same time, or mul- there can be multiple levels of meaning to things. Uh, we really, uh, we're very big on the, uh, we're very big on the, uh, the idea of symbol and, you know, in, in, in Greek, the word symbol in English, we think about things, well, it's just a symbol, you know, it's not, right. it's not a real thing. It's just a symbol, but, uh, in Greek, the word symbol means to carry two things or to bring two things together. So for us, symbols carry two realities. They carry what it is. And they also carry this other thing that it represents. And it, it, so through what it is, it brings the, real, the reality of what it represents. So if you think about an icon of Christ, it's an icon of Christ, but it also carries with us the, the, the presence of Christ. It brings that presence uh, into, our, uh, you know, into our mind, uh, in, into, our, into our hearts, that we, were, we are reminded that we are in the presence of Christ. And that's, that that's a real thing. Um, you know, I like, to, I like to tell people that, come to orthodox churches for the first time and there's usually like a wow factor when you get in there because it is so different but largely there's nothing going on in an orthodox church that you haven't seen go on somewhere else but the context is different it looks a little Mm -hmm. different so that's why it feels so foreign you know i often think about when i when if i'm at the grocery store you know and i don't i mean i don't wear a cassock when i go to the grocery store on on a weekday afternoon i'm usually in a pair of track pants and a, a hoodie or something like that and, you know, when, when somebody will see me from the parish, particularly one of the kids, and they'll kind of look at me and it's like, I think I know that guy, but I don't think I know that guy. So it's like, you know, it's familiar, but it's out of context. So it takes a while for them to recognize who I am. So it's kind of like that when you look at, when you walk into an Orthodox church, because what you see in an Orthodox church are symbols and rhythms and patterns. And our entire life as human beings is built around symbols and rhythms and patterns. Uh, it just happens that they're they're not as familiar to us when you walk in an Orthodox church and they look they look different. But our whole life is built like that. Right. Uh, it's built on rhythm. So so and symbol. So the idea about you know these things carry to reality. So let's say you know you show me a picture of your of your family, right? Okay. Now on on one level it's a paper it's a piece of chemically treated paper that that is reflecting certain certain colors that you know create this image and that's all that it is. But if I take that picture and I tear it up in front of you, you're going to be very upset mm, Yeah, because of what, because of the reality that that picture carries with it. So that's like an icon that, that, that it, these images carry this reality. Uh, we, we call them windows into heaven. And so they remind us of, of this reality that's always around us. You know, that's that the Christ is, is present. He says, I'm with you always until the end of the age. And and that, that all of these things are always with us, but it's very difficult for us to see them. It's very difficult to perceive them. 
without some kind of sort of nudging along to, to keep us mindful of these things. And so that's what the icons do. Uh, we also call icon scripture written in images rather than in words. So an icon also presents the teachings of the scriptures to us, but again, using image color uh, form rather than using words. So these things remind us of the presence of God and the angels and the saints, and they also teach us the the, the meaning of these things, the significance of these things for us uh, in the world and, and specifically in our own lives. Yeah, and and we'll probably get into this more as we go through some more of these topics, but I think that that's one of the things that I, because I grew up in a very, a pretty uh, small, probably considered legalistic Pentecostal church. That's what I grew up in. And um, so the, one of the things that I have appreciated as I learned more about the Orthodox church is that, um, is that there's not always a, a very black and white about things, but there's a lot of mystery yep. and like, it's okay not to know the answer to everything, mm -hmm. but to trust in this, like in this mystery of, of the faith that we have. Yeah. Um, I, I love this, uh, this, this theory that certain linguists have about where the word mystery, and it, that's a Greek word too, mysterion, and where it comes from, because they say that the word, the word mysterion comes from the, the sound you make when you don't know what to say. <laughs> you go, mm, you know, <laughs> uh, and so a mystery, and that's, you know, important. The idea of mystery is important in Eastern Orthodoxy, and mysteries are not things that are, are, are to be hidden away and kept secret, you know, don't tell anyone. But we define mystery as things that are too big for words, mm, yeah. uh, but are, ne are nevertheless absolutely real. So in Ephesians, Paul calls marriage a mystery. Two people become one. Well, how does that happen? I have no idea how that happens. But and after over 30 years of marriage, I can tell you that it happens. Yep. Yeah, I agree. 17 years of marriage here. So I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, kind of going through the same vein of like some of the of the beliefs and, and understandings of the Orthodox Church, what um, how does the Orthodox Church view Mary, the, mo the mother of Jesus? Because I know this is very different than what a lot of evangelicals mm -hmm. and Protestants believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so let me let me start by by just um, by by just reminding uh, reminding everybody of what Mary says about herself in Luke one chapter chapter one verse forty eight. This is when uh, the angel comes and, and gives her the news that she's been called by God to, to be the mother of the Messiah. And then she, she sings this hymn. And my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And Luke 148, she says that from this day forward, all generations will call me blessed. Mm -hmm. So that's prophecy about herself, that all generations are going to honor Mary. So so when, when a Protestant asks me, what's the scriptural basis for, for honoring Mary? Well, it's Luke 148. All generations will call me blessed. Uh, and it's really interesting that, that that word blessed in Luke 148 is the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes for blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed. It's the same word. And, and, and the, the linguistic idea of that is this is like a spiritual joy or a spiritual exaltation. And so all generations, it says in Luke 148, will celebrate Mary's spiritually exalted state. Mm. That's, that's the idea there. Uh, we call Mary, and that's, so we base it, finish, so that's the first thing. Uh, we call Mary uh, the mother of God. The uh, fancy Orthodox word is Theotokos, which is Greek, and it means birth giver of God. 
and we use that title for her. I should also mention, actually, that Luther himself used that title for Mary as well. She, he, he called Mary Theotokos. It was sort of post-Luther that that got, that got lost. Right. Uh, but we use the title Theotokos, Mother, Mother of God, because it, it, it expresses our belief in the incarnation, that we b- believe that life begins at conception. So from the moment that Christ was conceived in Mary's womb, God enters into this world. She is carrying God in her womb. So Mary is the earthly human mother of the Son of God incarnate. But that's a mouthful. So we just say mother of God. She's she's the mother of God. But really for us, this is a, uh, to use fancy terminology, a Christological statement. You know, it is about Christ doctrine. It is about it is about underscoring who it was that Mary carried in her womb, the incarnate Son of God. So that's that's that title, and you know, the high honor that we give to Mary in the Orthodox Church. We need to be clear that that's that's not because she was born with some kind of spiritual superpowers. You know, what we say of her is because of her her complete dedication to the will of God, and through that openness to God's grace, how God's grace worked in her. You know, when, when Mary, again, at the, at the Annunciation, when, when Mary receives this news and she says, well, how is this, how is this going to happen? I haven't known a man. And the angel says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so she accepts this calling. And that's very important for us too in the Orthodox Church. Uh, and and you know, we know it in scriptures that the angel did not come to Mary and say, you're pregnant. The angel came and said that you are called to be mother's, God's mother. And until Mary says, let it be to me according to your word, nothing's happened. But it's Mary's willing acceptance of the calling, willing acceptance of God's will for her. That's at the point when the Son of God, the Word of God, is conceived in her womb. So she accepts his calling, and in this respect, we, we honor her as the greatest of disciples. She is, we could say, our prayer warrior queen in heaven. You know, through, through her, the, the faithful discipleship of, of, of his mother, who heard the word of God and kept it in her life, Christ demonstrates what is achievable for anyone who's committed to Christian discipleship. So you see, Mary for us is also this standard that we can, we, we can look at for anybody who's, who's willing to hear the word of God and keep it in their lives. So uh, she, she has all these things for us. The other, the other thing, of course, is that, is that you know, uh, we say the church is the body of Christ. And so we are all one with Christ. And we all call God Father through Christ. And so we also call God to call Mary, the mother of God, our mother as well. Through Christ, she's our mother as well. And so who wouldn't ask their mother to, mother to pray for them and to intercede for them? So this is how we turn to her. And we, we call upon her in this very, uh, very intimate way. Yeah, and I think that like what you've explained and uh, it just uh, another mi- misconception people have is like the Orthodox Church does not worship Mary, no. that they just honor Correct. who she is and what she did. Correct. Yeah. yeah. The, oh, worship is only is only reserved for God. We only worship God. Uh, but we do honor Mary. We honor all of the saints for, for, for their great example, for their for leading the way for us and showing us showing us the way. And but particularly Mary and, and because of her 
you know, she really did. She's really singled out in the scriptures. We, we yeah. don't really, we don't really pay attention to this, but she really is like, if, even if you look and it's really interesting, you know, uh, in Luke chapter one, where, where, where the annunciation happens, because just before that, John the Baptist, father Zechariah is, is visited by the angel who tells, who tells uh, him that, you know, your wife, Elizabeth is with child and he's going to be a prophet of the most high God. And they're already old and, and they, they haven't been able to conceive their entire marriage. And so Zechariah says, well, how can this be? You know, how is it possible? And, and the angel says, this is, this, is, this is of God. But because you doubted, you will be struck mute until it all comes to pass. So now he's mute until, until actually John is given his name on the eighth day of his birth. So he questions how it can be. And he gets this. Mary, you know, several verses later asks, well, how is this all going to happen? How can this be? And Gabriel just explains how. And there's no, you know, because you doubted, you know, there's nothing. Right. She, she gets a pass on asking how it's going to be. So, so you know, there, there is this deferential treatment of, of Mary. There's, there's the Gospel of John. I mean, this, this fascinating uh, uh, account in the Gospel of John of Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine at Cana of Galilee. And Jesus is at the wedding, his mother's at the wedding, and his mother notices that they run out of wine. I don't know how you run out of wine at a wedding. <laughs> that can happen, obviously. Uh, but they run out of wine, so Mary looks at Jesus and says, hey, they've run out of wine. And, uh, and you know, there, there are different translations. And the King James says that Jesus says, what have you to do with me, woman? Um, the, another way that you can translate this out of the Greek is, what does this have to do with you or me? Or what concern of this is this to me? So there's different ways you can you can translate it, and, and you know, and, and I've I've had a number of my Protestant friends say this is clear evidence that Jesus is kind of shutting his mother down, right? Look at that, you know, he shuts her down. But then you have to read on to the next thing that happens because he says to her, "What you know, what is this concern of me? What is this concern? How is this our concern? My hour hasn't come." And immediately following that. Mary does a typical mom thing. She doesn't respond at all, all to Jesus. She looks at the servants and says, just do whatever he tells you to do. Which, by the way, uh, in the Orthodox Church, we understand that Mary is saying that through those servants to all of us. Mm. Like, just, just do whatever he tells you to do. Yeah. Everything will be fine. And, and immediately after that, he, there, there's, there's the big stone jars that are there, and, and, and he turns the water into wine. So we would say that if if if, if her inter, if that's an intercession, if her intercession is enough to to uh, to, to convince her son to to replenish the supply of wine at a wedding, just imagine what her intercessions can do for us in our deep, deepest, darkest, and most painful moments. Right, right. And then, of course, I, I, sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but no, there's just fine. one more, which is in the Gospel of John that Jesus is hanging on the cross and and he sees all this crowd around him and he takes the time to look down and see his Apostle John and see his mother and and commit uh, his mother to the care of John. So you see, in the scriptures, Mary does get deferential treatment all the way through from the beginning right to the end of his or Jesus' earthly ministry. Yeah, no, no, that's really good. Um, and kind of going to that same scene at the cross. So uh, what is the Orthodox Church's view of like what the, the cross and salvation and what happened at the cross sure. through Jesus? Okay. Um, so several things about the cross and, and why the cross was important and why did Jesus have to die on a cross? First of all, um, Jesus' death had to be public. 
because you know think about what would have happened if jesus had gone off into the desert died and rose again on the third day and came back to his apostles and said hey guess what you know so it had to be obvious and evident to everybody that he had died right uh, it also had to be a voluntary death and this is something that you know this is made clear in the gospels but i, I sometimes i think we miss the point that jesus is not just a victim of circumstance that all the way through, you know, and as, he's, as we're leading up to, to the events uh, in, in Jerusalem and, and the Passover, you know, he's telling his disciples, this is going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be, you know, put in that. So all the way along, he knows. And, and so there, there's this idea that, and it's a very important idea, that, that all of this is, this is voluntary. This is not something that's just, you know, he's caught up in the moment. Right. All the way to the point, all the way to the point where it says that Jesus hung down his head and, and gave up his spirit, because just it, when you were, a person was being crucified, what one of the things that was happening was that there, it was kind of like collapsing all their weight onto their chest cavity. So you had to keep your head up and your chest up in order to breathe. And then once you hung your head down, it, it, it put pressure on your lungs and, and you couldn't breathe. So, so even that, you know, it is finished, it is completed, it is fulfilled. And then he hangs on his head. The, the entire thing is voluntary. So it had to be a, a public death. It had to be clearly a voluntary death that he, he did this in, uh, of his own of his own will. And also the third thing is it had to display how deeply Christ the Savior entered into the human experience. Mm. And so Hebrews says this, he's like us in every way except sin. And so I heard one, I heard one uh, Orthodox writer say that the Orthodox understanding of the crucifixion and, and is, is, is that it's like a rescue mission. So, you know, Christ dies on the cross. He descends into Hades, into this, this realm of the dead where all the souls are. And Hades receives God himself. This is St. John Chrysostom, one of our great saints and preachers, talks about this. It, 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 takes, what, it takes man and encounters God, and it's overcome by the, the glory and the power of Christ as God in, in Hades. And it bursts open Hades and all those who are dead are, are, are freed from this, this, this realm of kind of doom and gloom. Um, so it's a rescue mission. You see, Christ enters into every aspect of the human experience, the positive ones, the negative ones. And you know, when you, when you look at, at the crucifixion, there are several things at play here. We, in the West, we tend to, we tend to play up the, the pain element of the crucifixion. You think about right. the Mel Gibson movie, you know, right. <laughs> pain of it, the brutality of it. But when you look at the at the Gospels, they they don't really spend a lot of time on the pain. What they spend time on is the shame. Mm. People making fun of him, and oh, you say you can save, you can't even save yourself. Oh, come down, and then we'll believe you. You know, and and it's all this shame. And of course, crucifixion itself was a very shameful way to way, way to die. It was, right. it was, it was really, it was meant, it was meant to. The Romans used crucifixion to send a message to people, which was abandon all hope. And so he enters into, in, into this kind of an experience. Every aspect of the human experience is filled with the presence of Christ. Even the, the worst days of our lives is filled with the presence of Christ. And Christ is the physician, like I said in the elevator speech, that, that salvation is an act of divine healing. And wherever you find the divine physician, there you find the, the, his healing grace. Right. So even our most painful, shameful moments, even death itself, are moments when we experience the healing grace of God through the crucifixion. Yeah. And I think that's, a, so I, I think a, a 
a view that is very <laughs> this popular in in the West in America. And what I grew up was with another big word to the uh, penal substitutionary atonement. Yep. And I feel like what you're explaining is a very different view of what I was taught. And which, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, focuses on the pain and punishment and not on the shame and also the victory that of mm-hmm. over death through Christ's crucifixion on the cross. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the, the idea of penal substitution atonement just is, is foreign to Eastern Orthodoxy. Right, right. So um, say, you know, somebody, whether they're listening to this podcast or not, but say somebody is, is, learning more about the Orthodox Church just seems like something that that they connect with and that they want to be a part of. What is kind of like the process for someone to uh, convert to or become part of the Orthodox Church? Uh, okay, so the, the, the first thing is, is to try to find, uh, if, if you have one, an Orthodox parish in your area that you can, you can start attending and, and you can start developing a, a relationship with the priest there. Um, when somebody when somebody comes to Saint Nicholas, you know, to my church, uh, with an interest in becoming Orthodox, what we what we what we typically do is we say, just just come to church here for a while. Uh, first of all, you have to come long enough so that that wow sort of factor that, right. that you know I was talking about, you know, because it's interesting because because usually, uh, especially on a person's very first visit to an Orthodox church, it's either wow this is really amazing or wow this is really too much. Uh, regardless of which one it is, you know, stick around long enough so that that kind of wears off a little bit and, and you're more able to kind of look at the, the patterns, like I said, the rhythm of, of, of the service and what's going on. You look at it a little bit differently at that point. So uh, that's the first thing. Stick around long enough just to see if, you know, so that so that, that initial an, initial reaction kind of you know, passes and you can you can look at it a little bit differently. Um, if it still looks like something that you're interested in, then what we do at St. Nicholas is, is we say you should really stick around so you've at least spent one Christmas and one Easter with us. Mm. And uh, the reason, and it, you know, and it doesn't matter in what order, but the reason for that is because by the time you get through one Christmas and one Easter, uh, you've pretty much passed through the entire church year and the various seasons and celebrations and fasts, and you kind of see the liturgical uh rhythm the liturgical uh life of the church unfolding and that gives you enough time to really get a sense of whether or not you know you want to really seriously pursue or becoming an orthodox christian or not um and so if you get through that and you say no no i'm still interested then we start a formal thing called a catechumenate which is literally like an actual uh, um, training time where there, there's a blessing at the beginning of it. You're, you're made an Orthodox catechumen, and that's usually about a about a nine month, you know, set of classes, formal classes that you go through. Uh, after which time you're you're received into the church, um, and and you become a full member of the church. So, you know, at Saint Nicholas anyway, start to finish, you can be looking at up to a year and a half, and maybe even two years before you're actually fully in. Um, but uh, you know, we're talking about a life decision, right? Right. So we, we want to make sure that people are really sure about this. Sometimes people get kind of taken up by the externals, um, as uh, as somebody in my parish said. You know, people like the 
sort of like like orthodoxy for the cosplay of like the wizard look and everything <laughs> like that and uh, you know you, you gotta you gotta not be doing it for that reason uh the other the other thing is that you know anybody who who wants to uh look at the orthodox church you really have to be you have to be at the point where you embrace orthodoxy for for what it is rather than because you're leaving something else mm. so rather than saying i'm not that you're saying i this is what this is what i am this is what i believe and that's really important making making peace with one's one spiritual past some people don't have that experience but some really do and they feel really kind of ripped off and 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 you know and what i tell people is look you know you the holy spirit brought you here so was working through your entire entire life and entire past to bring you to this point so you know having a having a chip on your shoulder about whatever you know wherever you're from it, it doesn't help moving forward because you end up just bringing that in with you right no that's, and, that's really good and i think know. that that is uh quite the opposite of you know what i grew up in is that like if you don't like where you are anymore you just pick up and you find a new church or you mm. uh you know go from church to church until you find what makes you feel good and right and i mean like in community has always been important and in and there's been important things but it's uh it's a lot easier for the uh church experience to be transactional and mm -hmm. not uh, a a commitment like it would like in the evangelical world would never would it take 18 months to two years to become part of a body and mm -hmm. it you know people can go you know switch churches multiple times within that same time frame mm -hmm. yeah and it, that's you know and that, that's kind of one of the reasons too and you have to remember that you know for for us on on our side of it you you get to know people and, and you sort of they become part of your community and then it's it it's kind of hurtful when all of a sudden they just disappear right right, right. so you know it's it, it, it's kind of like fair to us to say okay well you know we will make the investment in in, in teaching and working with you and in, you know and 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 opening our doors to you but yeah it's going to take some time to make sure because we don't want something where somebody becomes orthodox you know after after eight three months or something and, and then you know six months later they're off on the next thing because they've never really really you know let go of some of that baggage that they they, they brought in with them yeah yeah like i say yeah. it's a life commitment it's worth the wait yeah absolutely uh so say somebody's listening to this conversation and and they have interest like what's the uh easiest way for them to find out more about the orthodox church so since they're listening online uh the best place to go uh this is a fairly new site and and it's 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 a great it's uh, it's called an on-ramp for anybody interested okay. in orthodoxy and it's called orthodoxintro.org okay so www.orthodoxintro.org and from there you'll it, it's it's done by a, a group called ancient faith ministries and ancient faith ministries does publishing they do some really really good podcasts and there's some excellent excellent resources and so orthodoxintro.org just it gives you a place to start and then you know you can kind of go in from there so if anybody's interested that's the place that's a good place to start um the uh, the other thing though i mean beyond that if is is you know find yourself an orthodox church to, to visit and uh you know um because ultimately it is it's about community and and whatever you read on an evening or whatever you listen to on a podcast it's you know it's just nothing like the experience itself yeah 
Yep, absolutely. And uh, speaking of podcasts, you also have your own podcast. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and where we can find it? Sure. I, I, it's, a, it's a little podcast that I, I, I kind of got into. It's, it's just a short thing. I call it Other People's Thoughts and Prayers. And, you know, we hear a lot about thoughts and prayers and people sending out thoughts and prayers. And that's kind of become a sort of a trite thing, right? Uh, but, but there are some people whose, whose thoughts carry a lot of insight and people whose prayers are very inspiring. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot to offer, but, but there are some people that have a, a lot to offer. And so it's just little podcasts. They're about three to five minutes each. I, I post them on, uh, on Sunday evenings. Uh, I'd like to do more. Maybe eventually I'll get to do them more frequently, but for now, just uh, Sunday evenings, other people's thoughts and prayers, and you can find it pretty much anywhere that you can find podcasts. I, I do it through Anchor FM, but uh, Anchor FM kind of, you know, distributes it to all the usual places, yep. Spotify, that's, Apple. That's where I do mine through too. <laughs> it's good. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's a great platform. Uh, and then how can people find you online? Uh, best way to find me is probably through my link tree. Okay. Uh, page so link i think you can just do linktree.com slash father a jarmus so f-r-a-j-a-r-m as in michael at us so my, my father and then a and then my last name jarmus um and certainly if, if you know if, if you have listeners that uh obviously if, if if they're in the fort wayne indiana area and would like to visit st nicholas they're more than welcome to to uh to join us and to reach out to me but if there are other places as well, and they're looking for maybe recommendations on an Orthodox church, I'd love to, to help them with that. Um, and another thing I've just kind of started doing is working with some people who are not in an area where there is an Orthodox church. Okay. Uh, and just um, looking at maybe just offering some, some resources and just some, some help along the way for folks like that as well. So any, yeah. any of those situations, I'd be happy to talk to people. That's great. That's great. Um, and then uh, one last question before we finish up that I always ask everybody that comes on here, uh, because the podcast is called The Brood Life. Uh, when you're meeting somebody for coffee or whatever, what is your drink of choice? Oh, it's it's usually the, the, just, the, just the house blend with cream. Perfect. Yeah. Keep it simple. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on today and just being willing to share uh, about the what little information we talked about, because we could have done this for a mm a series for many weeks, but uh, I appreciate you coming on and just kind of giving everybody a little bit of a taste of what the Orthodox Church is and uh, hopefully piques people's interest in, and can do their own research into it. Thank you. I appreciate the, the invitation. Thank you. Hey everybody, thanks again for listening to The Brood Life. If you've enjoyed what you've been hearing and you think that this conversation would be beneficial to someone you know or help somebody understand maybe what you're going through, then please feel free to share this through social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, The Brood Life, and you can email it, you can text it, whatever works for you. And if you haven't already, please go out to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the podcast and then rate and review and that just helps us out so thanks again for listening and we will see you next week for another episode